Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Um, so I was not supposed to be up here, and for those of you that were here a few months ago, I said something very similar. Um, so our lead pastor, Joel, he's also my husband, um, is out of town this weekend, and a, a person in our church named Derek Wan was planning to teach. He got sick, unfortunately, and my husband said... You want to go again? <laughs> At least this time I had 24 hours to prepare versus just a few. Um, anyways, all joking aside, I'm actually really excited about today. And we were praying here um, before church, and the prayer was, God, you knew. Like, you knew this was going to happen. And not only did he know, I really, I'm just, like, excited for what we get to talk about um, partly because I'm not doing all of the talking. Um, a good friend of mine, Melody Marshall, who is actually one of the co-directors of My Village Ministries, is going to share here in a bit. And so what you didn't realize is that the info meeting is coming to you. Um, and we will still have an info meeting. It's just going to be a lot shorter. But in all seriousness, we're, we're, I'm just so excited. We're going to get to hear so much about our church partnership with My Village Ministries um, while also talking about the heart of why we have partnered with My Village Ministry. So Melody Marshall is one of the co-directors. She'll introduce herself a little bit more. Um, I have begun to work for My Village Ministries and have enjoyed getting to know her and claim her as a friend. She um, is a really great leader and a person that I admire a lot. So give it up for Melody Marshall. Good morning. So I don't really know Joel very well at all. I know Morgan pretty well, but this is the second time in the last few months that I've heard about a pinch hit speaker at this church. So I'm excited to be here. I heard you were very welcoming and wonderful when Morgan did it. And so I hope that you will extend me the same grace. Uh, my name's Melody Marshall. I'm the co one of the co-directors for My Village Ministries. And I do speak a decent amount at fundraisers and in front of community partners, but this is my first time kind of giving the message at a church. And so when Joel asked me at, on Friday night at 9.15, <laughs> I um, hesitantly said yes, and Lord be enough. So uh, I am the mother of five kiddos, which keeps me very busy. They are 8, 8, 10, 14, and 16. So we're, we're enjoying teenage years. I just had, got my, have my first kid with a driver's license. And I come from a family of six kids, I grew up in Maryland, right near Baltimore, and we lived on an acre of land that backed up to woods. We were all homeschooled. That was a lot of what the church was doing at that time. And just to give you a glimpse into what my life was like with my five siblings growing up, we would often try to finish school before breakfast. <laughs> we would get all our books out and rush through as quick as we could because we just wanted to play outside all the time. That's what we wanted to do was make up games and play sports and all that stuff. So one day, we had this big field in our yard with six small pine trees running down the middle of it, and my parents wanted to have those removed and replanted somewhere else so that we had somewhere to play, and that was kind of like a football field size. And they hired a man 
and he, we were all done with school because we had finished it before breakfast. And he came and he spent all morning, like 9 a.m. to noon, carefully digging a huge ditch around the first pine tree so that he could remove the whole root system and replant it somewhere else. So very carefully did that. He went on his lunch break, and me and my five siblings said, this is ridiculous that it's taking him so long. We can totally cut down the rest of these trees. So while he was on his lunch, we chopped down all five of the other trees, <laughs> killing all of their root systems and making them unable to be planted anywhere else. So every once in a while when my mom gives me grief about how wonderful her children were behaved and how mine maybe aren't always as well behaved, I remind her that we cut down five trees without her noticing <laughs> until after lunch. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you guys have heard very much about this, about the revival happening in As at Asbury College right now. But I had the privilege of being involved on a much smaller scale in something like that when I was in high school. And we just had a worship night at our youth group that was supposed to end at 8 p.m. We met on Sunday nights, and it just kept going. The spirit was in the room, and we were, you know, calling our parents and saying, can you um, let us stay longer, and we'll get a ride from somebody else. And, man, we stayed there till midnight, and people's shoes were off, and we were kneeling, and the spirit was just moving and doing something really cool. And I'm going to share this verse with you because it was the verse of the night, and it has stuck with me ever since. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides in the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. So we actually went on to meet, every, imagine this, like 14, 15-year-old high school students went on to meet every morning the next week at 6 a.m. before high school uh, to just pray. Pray for our city. Pray for why had the Lord put this so deeply on our hearts. What did God want to do with this, with setting the lonely in families and telling us that he's the father to the fatherless? And I have to say, most of us were from pretty regular nuclear families that this shouldn't have resonated as much as it did, but God was doing a work in our heart. So I'm going to come back to that, but I wanted you to know kind of the, the beginning of my story of the Lord gripping my heart for this type of ministry. I'm going to really quick run through how my village works so that if you are a type A brain and I'm sharing all these stories and you're like, yeah, but we don't know what the ministry is, this will give you an understanding of what it is. I do know that they talk about this ministry a lot at this church, so I'll keep it brief. I won't bore you with details that you already know. Okay, so we're considered a parachurch organization meaning that we actually mobilize the church to do the work of God. We believe that the church is the bride of Christ, and the Lord has a special relationship with his church, and he has called his church to do his work with him. So our organization is just using our area of expertise and our connection to communities in, that are impoverished to help mobilize the church. And um, so we mobilize the church, and then the church, on the next slide, the church has all these roles in it that you can do, which you've probably heard about. There's a ministry lead, which is who Morgan is, and there's a couple others at this church too. Um, a care community, a community coach, a host family, and a mentor, and we're always adding to that. So the giftings that the Lord has given you and the way that you're embedded in this community, we want to help teach you to share that with those who don't have a community. Um, so we will come into your church or it's sometimes hosted by another church, 
and you're invited to it, and we'll have a training. We train you how to do all of these roles, and then throughout the ministry, we'll provide safety and oversight for those things. And this is how it works from the aspect of the parent. Um, on the next slide, they will call my village ministry. So I, I actually, my, one of my main roles with the ministry is to spend a lot of time interacting with community partners like Franklin County Children's Services, homeless shelters, um, addiction recovery centers, hospitals, so they know what we do and so they can send parents our way that are in need. So a mom who's in crisis can call us and get the help she needs. Let me give you an example of what this mom might look like. This was the first hosting that my family did. There was a mom who was pregnant. Uh, I think she was eight months pregnant when we first met her. She had a one-and-a-half-year-old little girl, and she had just found out that the baby she was pregnant with had a heart condition and would need hospitalized for a significant period of time after he was born, including multiple surgeries. And at the same time that she found that out, her husband left her, and by left her, I mean he kicked her out of the house. So she was homeless, she was single, and she knew that she had this crisis pregnancy, birth and delivery that was about to happen. And so she actually Googled, because we weren't that well-known yet, uh, alternatives to foster care, and she found our ministry and called us. So she called in, and I wasn't on staff yet, um, but my village called my church, my church called me, and said, this is the story that we have, would you be willing to say yes to this mom? And she, I just have to tell you guys, she is one of the bravest women that I know. I've never had to walk through anything like what she had to walk through. She had to take uh, an Uber to deliver her baby. For those of you who have babies, can you imagine going by yourself to the hospital in an Uber to have your baby with nobody by your side? And she had to figure out then, after having this baby in the surgery, how to find housing, how to find, um, get her footing on the ground. And it was an honor for us to come alongside her in community, but I, the Lord really started to shape my heart for these families that we serve and to realize, man, but for the grace of God, there go I. How many times have we been in situations where if we didn't have a support system around us, we would have been in major crisis because, because really we think we have everything we need to rely on, uh, maybe in our bank accounts or at our house or in our own strength, but it is the Lord ultimately that we're relying on, and he, he uses community, he uses the body of Christ to hold us up. Um, so that's an example of what one of our families look like, and then once they're hosted, uh, they're reunified with their kiddos, and now they have a whole community of people around them. So as I've watched these stories flow through the doors for the last several years, God just continues to remind me of how easily this could be me. When I was younger, and again, I shared with you, there were six of us, uh, we, when I was about eight or nine, we went through a bankruptcy, and... Um, at the time, I did not realize how stressful that was for my parents, but they lost their house. They lost pretty much everything. And we moved into my grandparents' basement and slept on six mattresses on the floor in a row with a sheet hanging between the boys and the girls. And then when we got our feet a little more on the ground, we moved in with my aunt, um, eight of us, and three people, in my, my aunt, uncle, and their kiddo, in a one-bedroom house. And then when we got our feet a little more on the ground, we moved... Uh, my aunt, another aunt and uncle had a house they were renting that they rented to us for much cheaper because we still didn't have the credit to buy a house. And so at the, as a kid, that was a really fun adventure. I got to live with cousins. I got to sleep on the basement floor. It was super fun. I'm sure it was awful for my parents. But as an adult, I can look back and see 
that if we had not had that strong family support around us, we would have looked exactly like this family that we hosted for. We would have been facing homelessness. We would have been um, potentially lost to the foster care system because my parents couldn't care for us in a way that was safe and deemed appropriate by society. And so I'm realizing more and more how this depth of community that we have in our families and our churches keeps us from looking exactly like a family that we might choose to judge. And so the Lord has just continued to soften my heart through this. There are families all around us that are on such a shaky foundation that one more crisis will cause it all to crumble. And if it crumbles, then they may become a broken family for good. On the other hand, if the body of Christ comes alongside them at just the right moment, their foundation could be made firm and generation after generation to come could be changed. So that's what I want to talk to you about. I have two main points. They're really fancy and highbrow, cool names. Why this and why you? So let me start with why this. Why are we called to do this ministry? Let me help you understand the difference that it makes. Last year, 110,000 calls were made that reported suspected abuse and neglect in Ohio. Of those calls, only 25% were found to be substantiated. And that tells me two things. One, a lot of time and resources are being wasted. And two, 82,500 kids whose family, there are 82,500 kids whose families just need support and community around them. When we are not able to step in and help, children are ending up in the foster care system at an alarming rate. And I love the foster care system, guys. It is wonderful and needed. Maybe I love it is too strong of a word. It's pretty broken, too. Um, but 70% of the kids in the foster care system are there because of neglect and lack of support. And so it's just overloaded. There's so many kids that we could prevent from ending up in that system, and then the foster care system would have a better chance at serving well the 30% that truly do need removed from their parents' homes. If, do you know that if you are 12 or older and you're in the foster care system, you have a 91% chance of spending the rest of your childhood there and aging out of the system at 18 with no permanent community or support? I don't know about you guys, but when I was 18, I still needed a heck of a lot of support. Did you know that 35% of former foster youth are addicted to drugs or alcohol, and 36% of youth entering foster care are because of a parent's struggle with addiction, meaning that generationally we're repeating the same cycle. These same families are ending up here over and over. 49% of former foster youth will have a baby before they are 21. Only 3% will graduate from college. 50% of the 554,000 homeless people in the United States were former foster youth. If you head over to a prison, 60% of the inmates are former foster youth. And if you head over to death row, 80% of death row is former foster youth. See, the family unit is like a river running through our city. It touches everything around us. Its impacts are system-wide. Pope John Paul II said, As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. When the church gets involved in being a community to families before they fracture, it changes an entire city. As we think about these vulnerable families facing a mountain of stress and on a foundation that's about to crumble, this is a verse that I come back to over and over. It's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. 
If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Man, guys, every time I read that verse, it's so convicting. I'm so used to having people stand all around me. I don't even know what it would feel like to stand alone when life gets really tough. Now I want to move on to why you. When I got married, I was only 20, just a baby. And my husband and I um, had come from the same youth group together that I was sharing with you earlier. And there was a guy who worked there who would always challenge us to not just hang out with our Christian friends, but to build what he called a holy huddle plus one. So bring one more person into your hangout who doesn't know the Lord so that you can share the Lord with them. We thought that was really cheesy and made fun of him probably a little bit. But uh, that kind of stuck with me. And when we first started having kids, we had our first two kids and we started to think, man, we are just so blessed family-wise. We have so many rich relationships around us and we're starting this Christian family together and our kids are getting to hear about the Lord and they're safe and healthy and whole. And there are so many kids in the world that don't have this and are we called to bring one more into our home? Um, And so we moved to California. We worked for an organization called Boys Town and we began to... Uh, be house parents for at-risk teenage girls. We had a two-and-a-half-year-old and and an eight-month-old, and we drove across country with everything we owned and began to live in this house with these teenagers who were tough. They were tough teenagers. Uh, The Lord used that time in our life a lot, and we ended up deciding it was a little bit too intense of a situation to raise our own kids in. Um, And so we moved back to Ohio thinking, how are we still going to do a similar type of ministry, but not quite so much of putting our kids on the altar of ministry. So we moved back to Ohio, and a lot of things happened. We thought we were going to be foster parents at some point, but we had two more kids. We found jobs. We slowly began to stabilize financially, um, and then we were at four kids and had just gotten to the point where I could stop working and stay at home, and we were going to be foster parents. And right then, this ministry was starting in our church. My co-director, Phil Krause, uh, was beginning it, and we were like, man, it just, just seems like it's from the Lord. Uh, the timing, we didn't really know a ton about the ministry, but it seemed similar enough to foster care that the timing, and it was in our own church. So we said yes to this, and we started hosting kids in our house. Let me tell you that this affected our family in a profound way. The National Training League has done a study on how we retain information. And when you just tell information to somebody, like you tell your kid to love the least of these, they retain 5% of that information. But if you do it with them, they retain 75%. And if they learn to teach it, they retain 90% of what they're learning. And so we began to see this impacting our children as we had this little girl in our home that I told you about her mom. She was in the hospital. We actually ended up hosting her for eight months, which is think to date the longest hosting that our ministry has had, so it's not always that long. But the first night she moved into our house, my 11-year-old son was talking with me about her and how she was going to sleep that night, and we were talking about how she normally sleeps with her mom, and we didn't know how she'd do sleeping alone because we don't do co-sleeping. Actually, 
you're not allowed to co-sleep if you're in the ministry. <laughs> you can with your own kids, but not with other people's kids. Um, and we just were worried about her being able to sleep that night, being alone in a crib. And I looked at him, and he, had t- he was starting to tear up. And I said, what's wrong, buddy? And he was like, I was just thinking about her mom and how she's used to having her daughter in bed with her every night, and tonight she's sleeping alone. And man, that just made me tear up immediately with him because I would never be able to teach him to have compassion on a single mother in the way that he had in that moment. And the Lord was teaching it to him because we were doing this, not just talking about it. Another story is my uh, 10-year-old daughter was doing a project for her school on Black History Month, and she was supposed to write down all these black history heroes and why they were heroes. So she's working at that at the table. And this same mom, who I'm going to call Sarah, came over to our house, and we were sitting at the table together. And I was just having such a hard time connecting with her. She was scrolling on her phone and not really talking to me. And I really was trying to build relationship with her and just feeling discouraged, like I was getting nowhere. And then all of a sudden, my daughter took her paper that she had been writing on and slid it over in front of her face between her and her phone. And it said, I think we should celebrate Sarah for Black History Month because she's the bravest woman I know. And as Sarah just started crying, she had been filled with so much shame that she was in the position that she was in. And for my daughter to see her as someone to admire just changed everything. And all the walls came down. And we just spent Christmas together five years after that hosting. We're still close friends with their family. And and the Lord did that in my daughter's life in a way that I couldn't have done by telling her. And the last story I want to tell you about my kids is about my son, Charlie. He's here today. And when he was six years old, uh, we had been hosting a little boy in our home who was the same age as him. And uh, we were hosting him one or two weekends a month because his family was really struggling. And it came about on like a Tuesday or Wednesday in the middle of the week when the little boy wasn't with us that Charlie and I were talking about the gospel and he said he really wanted to ask Jesus into his heart. And so I said, okay that's awesome. And we went through the gospel again. I wanted to make sure he understood it. I asked him if he was ready to pray. And he said, actually, I want to wait until this weekend when my friend's here so that we can both hear the gospel together and ask Jesus in our heart together. And man, that's what we did, guys. That weekend, my son and his best friend prayed and asked the Lord into their heart together. And now that's part of his story of transformation in Christ. And again, I could not have said to him in words how to value the gospel in that way, uh, but God did that in his heart. So it didn't take us long to realize we were receiving a lot more than we were giving. I want to put up James 2 for you here. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And what we are seeing, guys, was that the opposite is true too. As we were living this way, we didn't expect any of this. Our faith was becoming alive and rich in a way that we did not anticipate, and our kids were being changed in a way that we didn't anticipate. Life continued to hold trials as we hosted. We actually had over 500 nights of kids being in our home over, I think, a two and a half year span. And It's not like everything, when you say yes to ministry or hard things or anything like that, that everything just gets easy in your life because you're doing this one thing. We still had flat tires. We still had our heat go out. We still had 
Lots of those little trials that, are, that can kind of wear on you. We also had really big things. My brother was diagnosed with cancer and lost his life. We had two kids diagnosed with ADHD, and our house and behaviors were sometimes difficult. Um, I said yes to coming on as a co-director in 2020, and then two months later, the whole country shut down because of COVID, and so we're trying to figure out how to run an organization inside of that. Uh, the, the, I think the most challenging month of that was we were doing a renovation on our house, and we had moved uh, into a hotel room for four weeks. We were in this one hotel room with six of us, and... Um, Homeschooling. I don't know if any of you had to homeschool, but it was tough on me. Um, and so life kept happening. All those things kept happening. But the act of living out the love of Christ made our roots go down deep and gave us a resilience we would otherwise have lacked. I know you guys are studying Ephesians right now, and this is a life verse of mine. I wanted to make sure I shared it with you. It's Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And so even though we were walking through these things, there was something about the faith and deeds together from James 2 that was creating a rich faith for us that was alive and a rich um, root system that was plugged into the nutrients of Christ. Just like those trees died when me and my siblings cut them all down, um, our faith is going to be dead if our roots are not going down deep into the love of God. God invites us into his work with him. It is not easy work, but it is rich and deep and alive. I hope I made a good case for, you, for why this. Families are God's design, and the outcome of letting them fall apart is devastating our world. And I hope that I made a good case for why you. God asks you to do his work with him, and he blesses you richly when you do. I'm going to invite Morgan back up. She has more to share with you. And I also need to just tell you a funny story about my first interaction with Morgan. She had said yes to being a coach, meaning she would walk alongside a mom while she was struggling or visit the host family while they were hosting. Um, and there was a mom who was pregnant, and we were waiting for her to give birth. And the host family, of course, there was like three days that they wouldn't be able to host because they were going to be out of town. And we thought mom wasn't due for a while. And Morgan called me, and she was like, she went into labor while they were out of town, and I have all her kids in my car, and Joel doesn't even know they're coming over yet. <laughs> so you, your pastor's wife, is a big plate lady who says yes to a lot of things, and I am loving having her on staff, and thank you very much for letting me share with you. So um, as I shared earlier, uh, this was not the game plan. And Joel, when he found out that things were changing this Sunday, he looked at me and said, hey, you think you could do it? And my initial word was, no, I'm not doing it this time. Um, but then he did wrap back around and had this idea of bringing Melody in and getting to share about my village ministries, and it became an easy yes. And the difference is, because I believe so much in what my village is doing, I believe in the work that we're doing as a church with my village ministries, and like I said, it was an easy yes. And about that topic of belief, I think we all understand that if we say that we believe in something, that we expect to see actions from it. So if I said that I believe that physical activity is really good for my body, it's good for my mental health, 
but then you never saw me or heard of me talk about doing any type of physical activity, you would probably question if I really believed that to be true. That's, you know, a low-hanging fruit as far as an analogy goes, but we can obviously then translate it over to our lives as believers. The not can be said about Christians that sometimes we believe things that don't align with our actions. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people out there that are turned off to church, to Christians, and to Jesus because they have encountered people who say they believe something and it doesn't align with their actions. I also think it's really fitting that we're having almost like this extended intermission for the book of Ephesians. And I don't think it's on accident. You know, last week, uh, we took a little break. We were celebrating our fifth birthday as a church. And Joel spoke from a passage in Revelation that he titled Ephesians 2, if you will, because it was a book to, or a letter to the Ephesus church. And we were supposed to continue on in our series in Ephesians today, But I also think that this is perfect timing because as Joel has shared uh, throughout this series, the book of Ephesians can really be split into two books of the Bible. So the first three chapters of Ephesians are very much about who we are in Christ, our belief. The second half of Ephesians, which we will continue on in the next few weeks, is really more than about so who we are in Christ is going to dictate how we act as believers, what we do, how that plays out in our actions. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to tie us to today, of how do we hold both of those things in tandem. I'm going to teach uh, just briefly on two verses in James. So we're going to go to James chapter 1, 22 to 24. And I'm just going to read them aloud. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. As I was preparing For this, yesterday, I was listening to a few pastors, and uh, one of them said that there are only three things in this world that will actually tell you the truth. A mirror, God's word, and your spouse. And to prove that point, I have to lovingly uh, make fun of my husband a little bit, Uh, but so we, I was pregnant, I was very pregnant with Judah, and I was on a walk with the fam, just a casual walk, and out of nowhere, I kid you not, he looks over at me and says, you know how some women look like they have a basketball under their shirt? I said, yeah. He said, you look like you have a suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I see like women out there with their hands over their mouth because you don't say that to somebody who's very pregnant. The reality is he was telling the truth. Like, I was not a cute pregnant woman. I was, like, wide, did not look great. But, like, you don't say that. Um, So you can make fun of him when he's back that he said that to me. Anyways, um, telling the truth. Let's look back at that verse, though, and 
Read what it says once again, especially verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I'm a little confused at first glance by that verse because it says that if you listen to the word, it leads to deception. I thought reading God's word was always a good thing. And the key word there is merely, right? If we read it again, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So they're saying if you're only listening to the word of God and not doing it, it leads to deception. And more specifically, I believe that it starts with self-justification, You and I all know how easy it is to read commands and verses in God's word, things like care for the poor, things like turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you, seek justice. The list goes on and on and on, and it is so easy to read those verses and to justify why it doesn't apply to us. To read those verses and think, yeah, I think he's talking to somebody else. Or, I'm single. I'm married. I'm retired. I have kids. I keep my lawn looking nice. Isn't that how I love my neighbors? God has not come to me in a dream or vision or spoken audibly to me and said, do these things. It's so easy to justify certain parts of the Bible, especially some that require a lot of sacrifice, and say, it doesn't apply to me. I'll do that when I'm in a different season of my life. And often, self-justification does end up leading to self-deception. But let's remember what we have to anchor all of this in. Because good works for good works sake, it's not gonna get you very far. You will burn out so quickly. The reality is we have to anchor our good works in the gospel. We have to anchor our good works in the good news of Jesus Christ. That we are all dead in our sins, but made alive and given new life in Jesus Christ. I know Mel shared a couple of stories um, just of families that we work with, and even this came to mind as I was thinking about this. Even this week, somebody that we work with got to sit down with a mom who we're trying to set up a hosting for. And this mom looked at our friend Allie and said, I don't think I deserve this. Do you think I deserve this help? What a cool opportunity to get to share the gospel. And the reality is, what a perfect illustration of the gospel. Because none of us deserve it, right? None of us deserve the good grace that God has given us. And because of that, because of the the life-changing reality of having a relationship with God and receiving the good grace of God, that is how we do good works. That is what spurs us on to do things like My Village Ministries. Even one verse later, verse 25, it says, we read that whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and does it, they will be blessed in all they do. There's so much freedom found in the story of the gospel. 
And it is because of the gospel that we do actions. We say all the time in this church that, that we're trying to be a church that helps people find and follow God, right? We want to introduce them to Jesus, to a head knowledge of Christ, to what God's word has to say, the truth of God's word. But we also want to help people follow God. And follow God means reading God's word and obeying it in action. Um, lastly, I just want to do like a little command, not command, that's not the right word. I want to challenge our church. Um, I'm not commanding you to do anything. Um, so our local impact director is Mackenzie Davis. That's right. She has been our longest standing director here at our church, which is something to, to definitely celebrate, just the faithfulness of her in that role. And uh, Joel and Mackenzie meet every so often just to talk about what's our vision for our church when it comes to local impact. And as a church plant, we started five years ago and we were just trying everything. We were just like throwing things at the wall and hoping they'd stick. And sometimes it was great. And we saw a lot of success in the things that we were trying. I mean, we we're still doing Gehanna gift shop in large parts of the vision of, of our early years. And then we would try some things and it, it, you know, didn't work quite as well and we don't do them anymore. But Joel and Mackenzie met, I think just a few weeks ago, and he came back from his meeting so excited. He said, we got to sit across the table from each other and look at each other and say, I think we can just continue doing what we're doing. I don't think we need a new vision. I don't think we need a new program. I don't think we need some new big event. We've got a really great game plan here with our EL classes, which we've talked about a bunch, and My Village Ministries. And yes, we do have other things. We have events. But I'm just telling you that if you're sitting here and you are a member or belong, claim Three Creeks Church as your home, and you're waiting around for something else to come up, to get involved in, to serve in, it's not coming. <laughs> This is our game plan here at our church. And I, if, you, if they gave me an hour, I could be up here talking about the cool things that I'm getting to experience being on staff here, at, being on staff with my village ministries. But I think one of the coolest pieces is what it enables the church to do. Because no matter your life stage, no matter your giftings, no matter your capacity for anything, you can get involved. Because believe it or not, we're getting ready to have two hostings happening at the same time in our church just this week. The Ellis's are hosting right now. The Johnson's are getting ready to host on Thursday. And we have an opportunity to engage in things like the mom that we're hosting for right now, she just had a baby. We're gonna set up a meal train for her. Can you imagine how hopefully good overwhelming it would feel to have a meal brought over, a warm meal after you just had a baby from random strangers, all from Three Creeks Church. To support the Johnson family as they're welcoming in an eight-year-old. She probably is coming with not very many clothes. Who of you can go and buy a pack of pajamas for an eight-year-old and drop them off at their house? I think the answer is every one of you. So I guess maybe I am commanding you. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, I just, I think we have some really 
easy inroads to serve people here in our church with our EL classes in My Village Ministries. And I'm just excited that we get to be a part of it. I'm going to pray here in a second. We are still having an info meeting after church for those of you that are interested. Um, obviously, it's going to be not super long. We covered a lot of it up here. Uh, but it is an opportunity for those of you that maybe are considering, like the Lord's tucking on your heart to consider some roles that require a lot. I mean, we don't want to diminish the fact that being a host family is hard. They say it, it's the ministry of interruption and inconvenience. And I think that is very fitting. So if maybe you are questioning like how the Lord is wanting you to get more involved, this would be a great place to ask a lot of questions. Uh, we have some updates just for what it looks like for our church specifically and would still love to get to share some of that info with you. But I'm gonna pray and then we get to worship as a church family again. God, I do thank you that you knew that today would look like it did. I thank you, God, that we're in a church that runs with uh, interruption and inconvenience in its own way, and that we're willing to embrace that, Lord, and um, we know that you're behind that, God. And, and at the end of the day, we want to be a church that is founded only on you. And if that looks like you changing our plans, then we'll take it. I pray, God, for anybody who's sitting in this room who is feeling compelled to put their faith into action, whether that's through My Village Ministries or not, Lord, I pray that they would not stiff arm your work on their hearts and in their life, but they would be receptive to what you're asking them to do. Lord, I pray that we would see families all over Columbus be be presented with the gospel through my village ministries. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.